Romans chapter 1, and it might be, I don't think it's overstated, but it's a, a phrase that we use often here, and that's it, that, that we're thankful to be here and in church, and I'm going to preach some about that this morning, but but I'm just, I'm thankful that, 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 that we're allowed, that we're able to gather together. And, you know, one day we may not be allowed to, but there's still going to be this this church body that just comes together. And it's just such a, I don't want to preach my, my sermon early, but it's just such a powerful tool that God has used to be able to preserve his spirit, to preserve his word throughout the ages. You know, there's, we've talked about, you know, the church in China and the, the church over in, in Europe and all these different places where they've locked them down. And, and that this morning that they're not able to gather together in the freedom and the liberty that we have. And yet I'm just so thankful that God is, is still letting this country allow us to be able to have that liberty. But yet even if that goes away, guess what? God is still going to preserve his church. And, and that's what I want to preach here this morning. Romans chapter 1. I want to start in verse number 8 and read down to verse number 13. Romans 1 and 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making a request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith that powerful mutual faith both of you and me now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Let's pray over the word. Lord, God, I just want to thank you this morning, God, for the opportunity to be able to come into your house, to fill your presence, to worship with your people, Lord. God, I lift your name up, Lord. I give you honor and praise, Lord. And God, there's just gratitude, Lord, in my heart right now, thanking you, God, for the blessings, Lord, that you've placed upon us up until this point. And God, I pray, Lord, that this morning that you would build our faith, God, so that if one day those liberties are taken away from us, God, that there's still just going to be that resolute stance, God, that we're going to stand for you no matter what may come against us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your word, God. Let us hear it, God, and let us act on it. And God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you keep your Bibles open, we're going to walk through this passage here this morning. But the title of my message is The Marks of an Apostolic Church. The Marks of an Apostolic Church. The church is facing intense opposition in our day. It's very apparent that Satan is launching all of these external attacks that are coming against us. We're starting to see societal pressure from the, the morals that we have, that we hold on to God's word. It used to be within a community, it was it was an upstanding thing that you went to that church, that, that you stood for that, um, that you stood for the morals that God held us to. But now it's not 
it's not the same. People are, are, are intensely experiencing persecution that, that's now beginning to come in even to America. And these attacks that come from the outside, you know, they, we expect those things to come. Jesus, he told the disciples, he said, look, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. You, you, people are not going to like you because you follow after me. But there's another type of opposition that comes against the church, and it's, it's even more deadly in nature, and that's opposition that comes from within the church. And this type of opposition, it's, it's very deceptive in nature, and Satan has been using it since the very, very time that the early church was started. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, he said, you better be on the lookout because there's ravenous wolves that are wearing sheep clothing and they're going to come in and they're going to try to sneak into the flock and they're going to try to deceive you. You better know the word of God. And Paul, he warned the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he said that wolves are going to come in. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm burdened in my soul because I know that things are going to try to enter into the church and that there's going to be many that are going to be deceived. And so the question that we have here this morning is, is, well, how do we safeguard ourselves against these attacks? How do we know where these traps are? How do we know to look for them? How can we be safe from them? And the answer to that is, is that we have to know what the real church of the living God looks like. So that whenever we see a counterfeit, that we would quickly say, you know what, that's not something that I want to be a part of. In the days before they had those little pins that they would, you know, mark on your 20 whenever you gave it to the, to the cashier, what they used to do is they used to just give those cashiers a real bill. And they would let them just sit there and hold it and feel it and look at those markings. And, and they got to where that just by the touch that they could, they would get a counterfeit bill and they say, no, this isn't the real thing. This isn't what, this isn't what, what, what U.S. currency is supposed to feel like. And so that's my intent here this morning is to let you interact with the word of God so that you can begin to feel what does a real church look like? What does a real church preach? What does a real church allow to be able to come in? And what are the things that they shut out? That's what we've got to know. And that's what will keep us safe from opposition that comes from within. Because I, I'm going to tell you today that, that it's so important now we can't afford to have fake dead church. It's too important, the things that are going on in our nation, the things that is going swirling all around us, we've got to know what the Word of God says. We've got to know the things that He's commanded us to do, not just for us, but for our children. Like Brother Wells was talking about, just that little, that little snippet that comes in. I say, you know what, that, that is sinful, that is wrong, but, but my children, they may not necessarily know the same thing, so I've got to raise them up to know what the Word of God says, to say, you know what, that's counterfeit, that's not the real thing. And so that's what I want to do here this morning. I want to tell you three marks of what an apostolic church is supposed to look like. The first that we see is found there in verse number eight. Paul says that first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The first mark of an apostolic church is a worldwide known faith. The way that Paul uses that word faith there, it shows us that, that he's indicating it's a complete persuasion. It's a complete trust. And guess what? You live differently whenever you're totally persuaded of something. Whenever, whenever the disciples were in the boat and the storm is raging around and, and Jesus is walking on the water, and he says, Peter, come on out. Uh, well, Jesus, you see the storm. You, that, you do know that is water, right? 
No, Peter is fully convinced that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the God, the Lord over all. And so he says, all right, Jesus, I'm hopping out of this boat. Even though the storm is all around me, even though all this uncertainty is going on, Jesus, if you tell me to step out on that water, I'm going to step out on that water because I'm convinced I've got a faith. I'm fully persuaded in you, oh Lord. And so I can tell you that no matter what may come in the coming months or the coming years or whatever legislation might be passed, that God is on his throne. I am fully persuaded of that. Am I concerned about what the future holds? Absolutely. But I know that God is going to preserve his church. Is Nero going to rise to power? Perhaps. Are Christians going to be martyred? Perhaps. Are evil men going to wax worse and worse? Perhaps. But I am fully persuaded that God is sitting on his throne and that there is nothing that is going to be able to separate us from the love and the power and the purpose of Jesus Christ. We've got to give ourselves fully to him. And that's not a normal attitude for people to, be, to, to have during these circumstances. You can't hardly turn on the news or look through Facebook or wherever and say, is that headline actually the truth? I don't know. But you know what I do know? I do know that this word is going to stand forever, that there's never going to be anything that's ever going to come against it, and that I can put my full trust and faith on what the word of God has to say. How comforting is that fact that we don't know what is true around us. We don't know from day to day that the, the guidelines change to this and to that. But I know that this book, that God's word, that his spirit that he put inside of me, that there's no uncertainty there. And so that is what had the world talking that Paul said, look, the faith in the church in Rome, it's, it's worldwide. People are talking about it all over the place. Well, how does that happen? It happens because those people had an unbroken trust in Jesus Christ. These are great saints of God in the church at Rome. Their faith was known worldwide. And let me remind you of something. They didn't have the live stream. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have Facebook Live. They didn't have the MP3s and CDs and DVDs. And yet their faith was known of throughout the whole world. How did that happen? It's because they were right there in the middle of Rome. There was all the uncertainty. There was all the persecution that was going on and they didn't need Facebook to stream out their services. No, they said these people are different. They're different because they've got a faith and they've got a trust and a God that's going to take care and it's going to keep them throughout any situation. How did that happen? The answer is simple and that is that true apostolic revival, it doesn't need to be advertised. Now, I thank God. I thank God for advancements in technology. I thank God that, that, we're, that we're able to stream our services, that, that we've got our CD and DVD ministry, and they're going out all over the place. But listen to me, that you don't need to advertise for the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2, those men, they didn't need to go out and say to, to pass out flyers around the town in Jerusalem. No, that, that, that revival started in that upper room, and it just began to flow out. And now you've got thousands of people that are here saying, Peter, what in the world is going on? What's going on at, at 1745 Coderry Road? What is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. The Spirit of God is working and flowing and ministering. And God can work, and he doesn't need a 5G internet connection to do it. And so whenever revival begins to start in a church, word begins to spread. 
And flames of revival start to flow up in that city and then the county and then the state and then the nation. The whole region is affected by that one revival that happened there in the upper room. All from one service, the gospel was spread throughout their known world. Just one service. So let your trust in God, let your faith in God do the talking and it's going to get people interested in what God is doing in your life. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9 says, Paul speaking to the church in Thessalonica, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't even need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They didn't have to spread it over the internet. No, it was just what they did in their life. It was the, the stories that they told to their, to their co-workers and to their family. And they just let that begin to spread throughout. And then what happened, Paul said, I don't even have to say anything because I go and they say, hey, that church in Thessalonica, there's something going on there. God is working and God is moving there. And that's what's got to happen here in the city of Dothan, that the revival's just got to start coming up. And in these times, in these days, people will say, hey, something's going on. Something's different about that Pentecostal church. And then what happens is God begins to use his church to spread revival. Their faith, it spread worldwide because they gave their lives to living in the model of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. You need to be an imitator of me. You need to be an imitator of Christ. And so we've got to use every avenue that we have to be able to spread the gospel. But we can never forget that it's our daily lives that we live. That's all the early church had. And yet they had one of the most powerful revivals that we've ever seen in church history. The second mark of an apostolic church is found in verses 9 and 10 of our text. It says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, my prayers, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul shows that the second mark of an apostolic church is prayer. It's not going to be a church. It's not going to be a true church, an apostolic church, unless you give yourself to prayer. We, we, we see in the book of Acts, he said that, that they gave themselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. If you mix those two things together, trust me, you're going to have a move of God. And you look all the way through Acts, you see over nearly 30 times that we see prayer mentioned in the book of Acts. I'll mention just a few here this morning. The Holy Ghost, it did not come until after prayer. That's Acts 1.14. After the Holy Ghost came, they still continued in prayer. That's Acts 2.42. During normal church routine, just a normal business meeting, things that were going on, they prayed. That's Acts 6 and 4. While Stephen was being stoned, while he was being executed in the middle of that, what's he doing? He's praying. That's Acts 7 and 60. The Holy Ghost, it fell in Samaria after Peter and John prayed. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 15. While Peter was in prison, what was the church doing? 
They were praying. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 5. Luke and Paul, they would set a time aside on their journeys. They're busy doing these missionary journeys, but they still set a time aside for prayer. That's Acts 16 and Acts 16. The book of Acts, it was a revival church, but it was also a praying church. And I find it very interesting that here in our text, we find it linked together. We've got worldwide faith and we've got prayer. And those things are placed, linked right together. Just like on the day of Pentecost, that revival came as a result of prayer. And Paul was a man of prayer. His, his letters are full of prayers that, that he has for his fellow believers. And he was simply following the commands of the Lord. In Luke 18, he said, we ought to always pray. And then he told a parable of a, of a woman who went before that judge. And, he, and she continued to bring her petition and continued and continued until finally he said, look, woman, I'll, I'll give you what you want. Just get out of my hair. And that's what Jesus is saying is, look, you may not have got your answer the first time or the second time, but but you just take, think, and take those things to the Lord and God is going to work and God is going to minister. And so we've got to know that our God, he's not an unjust judge. No, no, he's going to hear our prayers and he's going to work on our behalf. But those prayers, it's not just, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. No, no, Paul reveals to us that his prayers were filled with tears and that he prayed night and day. These aren't prayers for the faint-hearted. No, these are prayers for passionate saints of God who want God to move, it, irregardless of whatever may be going on in our culture. And Paul, he gives us a glimpse into a prayer life that is vibrant, that is powerful, that God is moving in, but it's also going to cost you something. And whenever Paul gets on his knees... He knows that he's going to connect with God. But, but pay close attention to how God answered his prayer. Because the early church, they experienced great revival, but they also experienced great persecution. And not every saint of that church was able to have their life ended on the terms perhaps that they would have wanted. Some were thrown to the lions. Some were, were burned at the stake. Other other. Horrible stories you can read in Fox's Books of Martyrs of, of how these men and women of God were treated in their last breaths of life. But God did answer their prayers by having that life-saving message of the gospel to be spread throughout their known world. God did answer their prayers by preserving the word, the letters that were written to the church so that we today would be able to have the word of God that we can come together and, and to be able to share God did answer their prayers, just maybe not necessarily in the way that, that we would have expected. But our only task in this life is to do the will of God. And if we encounter difficulties, then so be it. We just pray for God to give us grace and strength to be able to come out on the other side. But in order for us to be able to have that attitude, we've got to have an attitude of prayer. And Paul, remember, he said we've got to be imitators of him and of Jesus. Remember his words in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, you need to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you need to give yourself entirely to God. You need to give yourself fully in that faith, that persuasion that God is going to work and minister no matter what's going on. You need to give yourself totally and entirely to prayer. The third mark of an apostolic church is found in verses 11 and 12. 
Paul says, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Here we see that Paul describes the importance of being able to meet together due to the fact that it is spiritually strengthening for the church. The third mark is that the church is spiritually strengthening. I love how that a God-breathed letter written over 2,000 years ago can reach down into 2020 and speak to us here where we are right now today. Because he said, I long to see you. He said, I've been praying for you. My, my prayers are going forth all the time for the church in Ephesus and all the other churches. I'm praying for you all the time. It's these long-distance prayers, and they have great power. My, my prayers are not just going up to the ceiling and coming back down. No, God is hearing what I'm saying, and God is working in these churches. But guess what? The church in Rome, I long to see you. Why? Because there's some things that that personal contact, it, it allows you to give and allows you to work. And so I would say to you here this morning that there's something special, or might I say there's something essential for a church to be able to gather together in person because God can do something supernatural. And you know, we think about our, our Sunday school lesson. We think about the worship together. We think about the, the word of God going forth. We think about the altar service. But, but just give consideration to just the fact that fellowship with godly people of how much it builds us up. And we go through the week and we have fellowship with a lot of, a lot of ungodly people. And, and it's not necessarily spiritually edifying. And, and, and we, we come into to a church with a group of believers and we can talk about the word. We can talk about the spirit and we can be lifted up together just through the fellowship of being together. Paul is saying here that there's something supernatural that happens when a group of believers get together. He said, I've got to see you. Why? Because there's some spiritual gifts that can be imparted here. We all know the passage in Matthew 18 where two or three are gathered together or, or the passage in Hebrews 10 that, that says that we don't ever need to forsake the assembling of the brethren. And, and Paul right here, he's just operating in that principle. He's saying, you know what? It's important for us to gather together so that we can have these gifts that are working among us. So yes, we must pray for our fellow brothers and sisters, but there's also something to be said that we need to gather together Whenever we had the shutdown, we did it, we did it twice here in our church. And, and it was maybe a month at a time almost for each time. And it was, we, we would come in here and, and we would sing and, and, and dad or grandpa or whoever would preach. And, and we'd sit on, on, on the, we would sit right around where Brother Jay and, and uh, Sister Rhonda is. And it was just us in there and, and Sister Regina. And, and it just felt, I just, I just wish that you all were here. And, and I miss that fellowship. And now that we're all together, we don't ever need to take being able to gather together for granted. Because it's a gift of God to be able to come together with a group of believers. Please don't take these services for granted. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming years. We've got to, as much as we can until the day of the Lord comes, we need to gather together and say, you know what, I want, some, I want, I want to be uplifted by my brothers. I want to be uplifted by the word. I want to be uplifted by the worship. I don't want to waste one service because God can do great things whenever his people are gathered together. Notice there in verse 11 that Paul says that he's imparting gifts to the church at Rome. But then in verse 12, he says 
that is that I may be comforted. So, so Paul is, is imparting these gifts to them. He's lifting them up. He's building them up. But then guess what is happening to him? He's also getting encouragement. Because Paul knows, Paul knows that this is probably the end for him. He knows when he gets to Rome that this is probably going to be the end of his journey. And you know what he's saying? He's like, I, I, I have those tough days too. I have those times where I feel discouraged. But whenever I can meet together with God's people and I can let those gifts begin to flow out of my life and they let those things begin to flow into me, then, then we're just encouraged and we're strengthened together. There's strength in the numbers where two or three are gathered together. God can do a great and powerful work and it's not just the people of God it's the men of God it's, it's just this this mutual connection that God is a two-way street and God is working and it's so encouraging to see somebody that you've been encouraging that you've been working with in their life and you're seeing them draw closer to God how much that does for you in your own life or how many times have you come to church and you've been discouraged and you've seen that brother or sister in the altar and you know that they're going through a tough time and, and you see them up there worshiping and you say, you know what, if they can worship in the middle of their circumstance and I can worship in the middle of mine, that, that, that mutual, that two-way street that God is using to build all of us up together to do his will. And so in a sense, God has used the church to be self-sustaining, that, that we're all lifting each other up. And God puts us all together so that we can lift each other up, that we can build each other up, that we can have that common goal, that common purpose until he returns for us. Paul speaks of this whenever he talks about the five-fold ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12 tells us why. Why did you do that, God? Well, he answers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and listen to this. Remember how we were worried about opposition within? Remember how we talked about being deceived, spiritually deceived? Well, guess what happens whenever you come under that ministry, that fivefold ministry, that we henceforth be no more children, that we're no longer tossed to and fro, that we're not carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slide of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. We've strengthened each other up. We, we have effectively safeguarded ourselves from, from the deception that Satan would try to use. Why? Because we've gathered together. We've let the word come into contact with our hearts and our lives. And so God has used the church to protect itself from the enemy. But speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. It makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The church is a body. The church is a living organism. Every part of it is essential for growth. So just like you need the mouth, your mouth, to get the food to your small intestine, and you need your small intestine to get those nutrients to your liver, and you need your liver to get those proteins to your muscles, and then whenever your muscles work, you need your kidneys to filter out all that waste from, from, the, from the metabolism that's going on. You need every single part working together, and you need that health there, that, that vibrancy there, and that's how God keeps us 
in his hands. Every single part of the body is essential in keeping it in a working condition. So while Paul, Paul, the great evangelist, the man who wrote the majority of, of the New Testament, this great man, he's saying, you know what? You're, you're doing something for me whenever we meet together. You're encouraging me. I'm having things being put into my own life. And I, I would say here this morning that we will never be able to estimate how that, that God has used the church to be able to keep us in his hands just from us just simply meeting together. We're not ever going to know that until we get to heaven to be able to see those blessings that God has placed into our lives. So in, in conclusion here this morning, if you want to keep from being deceived by the opposition, then, then you need to give yourself to a church that is fully persuaded in a faith and trust in God and in the apostles' doctrine. If it doesn't look like that, guess what? It's a counterfeit. That, that $20 bill, it doesn't feel right in my hands. If they're not fully persuaded that God has his hand on every single part of, of the things that are going on in our world, then I don't want to put my trust in that. If they're not going to preach the same gospel message that was preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, I don't want any part of that. If they're not going to tell me that, that unless a man is born of water and is born of the Spirit, that he's not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, I don't want any part of that. It's counterfeit. Or if, if that church is not given to prayer, if that church just, just, just discounts prayer and says that God, he's not really listening, he's not really working, there's, there's no miracles that are still going on. God, God doesn't hear you. Yeah, you can, you can say whatever you want, but God's not listening. I don't want any part of that. I want a church that believes that prayer is going to change the, the things that are going on in our world, that he's going to be able to keep us and protect us. And I want to have a church that is committed to spiritual impartation of gifts, that the gifts of the Spirit are working, that the fruit of the Spirit is working, that, that us joining together is just building us up together and that there's encouragement that's going on. There's strength that is found whenever we bind ourselves together. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will be able to withstand him. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's strength when we come together as a body of believers. Paul goes on in verse number 13. He says, not only are we spiritual teammates who are on the same team working together, letting this encouragement go from, from, from one to another. He says, no, he says, you are my brothers and my sisters in Christ. All throughout the epistles, we see that they open up and they'll say, brethren in the church of, of Ephesus, brothers and sisters are dearly beloved. There's this, this, this family that we're all a part of. And how did you join that family? It's whenever you come under the blood of Jesus Christ and then you can stand and you can say, God, you're my father. I'm putting your will at the forefront of my life and I'm giving you everything that I have. We are not just spiritual teammates. We're a family. So brothers and sisters, let me tell you this morning, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. That is what we are fighting against. You are my brothers and sisters as a family. But guess what? We're also a band of brothers as we fight together against Satan, as we fight in the, in 
the, and the struggle for our souls and the struggle that, that we see that's going on for our families and for our church. We are fighting together. So put on your armor and let us stand together and fight against the enemy. You can stand. Hold on to the church. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to faith. Hold on to prayer. Hold on to this spiritual family. And let's fight for the kingdom because it's the only thing that's going to matter. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter what you drove. It's not going to matter where you lived. It's not going to matter. None of those things are going to be of any consequence. Only what we do for God is going to make any eternal consequence. Let's pray, God. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful this morning, Lord, for this group of believers, God. So thankful, Lord, for the common faith that we share, Lord, for the, for the mutual encouragement, Lord, that comes to us from just meeting together, God, under the banner of your love, under the banner of your truth and your spirit, Lord. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to never take for granted, God, us being able to come together and worship you. Lord, don't let us just think flippantly, God, about, about a church service. No, let us, God, take full advantage of every moment that we're here today, God. Lord, so that your spirit can lift us up, so that you can build our faith. Lord, that you can strengthen our belief in, in the power of prayer, Lord, and so that you can encourage us. God, I want you to move this morning. These altars are open if you'd like to come and pray. God, I just 